This morning's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, which is on page 1182 of the Church Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Thanksgiving and prayer. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephesus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Supremacy of the Son of God The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our hearts and our minds, O Lord, that we may hear your word, believe your truth, and fashion our lives in accordance with your will 
and all for Christ's sake. Amen. Today is the harvest service for our church here, and we have all the produce of the harvest uh, behind me. Of course, for most of history, the harvest festival was very much linked with what was going on in the cycle of the year in the land, because that's where most people actually were, very close to the fields, the growing of the crops and the harvest coming in. The closest most of us in an urban context might get to that might be if you happen to have an allotment or produce some vegetables in your gardens. So in many ways, particularly in an urban context, we're quite disconnected from that uh, agricultural cycle, which is so important to human life. One of my abiding memories from our Kingston Episcopal area link, which we have with the Diocese of Matabeleland in Zimbabwe, is visiting a church in one of the rural areas in Matabeleland, where the vicar's wife showed me in the church hall an enormous pile of grain that had been harvested. And the crucial calculation for her was how long that pile of grain had to last, because that was literally uh, the food supply. There were some other things as well, but it was fundamental uh, in that context. Nowadays, a few years ago, there was an uh, exhibition which uh, was uh, triggered by the fact that over 50% of the world's population now live in large urban contexts. And that number was going up and up and up. And it was likely to become more like 75% uh, in the not too distant future. So most, most of, for most of us in the context of harvest and our food supply, we hear more about the importance of supermarkets and food supply chains, and that was reinforced in us particularly through the pandemic. We might hear quite a lot about mass farming techniques and agribusiness and the huge uh, complexes, uh, commercial complexes that are often involved in that. We've heard more recently about the impact of the terrible conflict in Ukraine on grain supplies around the world, into different parts of the world, as well as here. We hear quite a lot, of course, about the impact of climate change on crop production. And when I was at the Lambeth Conference with all the Anglican bishops from around the world uh, recently in the summer, one of the bishops from Tanzania was talking about uh, drought-resistant crops because some of the climate change. That was fundamentally important uh, to them in their context. We're also very aware in the harvest context as well about the importance of justice and fair shares of the food and the resources that the world has. We're acutely aware of the cost of living crisis which is going on for so many people in this country and the challenge of do we heat or do we eat being a stark contrast to have. And food banks, sadly, have become normative in our culture, not just a way of responding to immediate need. They're a part of what goes on all the time. And last week, when I was at a church, one of the things being requested for the local food bank was hot water bottles and blank, clean blankets. 
uh, because of the energy crisis which so many people were facing. So in the harvest context, for us in our urban uh, situation, it's very different from that cycle of the land and many of those traditional harvest songs that we sing. But of course, we are all completely dependent on that food supply working and coming to us. And we know just how quickly life breaks down if we don't have the supermarket shelves filled and so on. There are, of course, some common themes between if you're in a very rural or agricultural context or a much more urban one. The first common theme is the importance of giving thanks, being thankful for the good things that we have, for the food which is on our plates. It's very easy to take those things for granted. And being thankful, we're reminded to do that in the Bible uh, many times. Give thanks to God for those good things which we enjoy. A second common theme between that more rural and an urban context is the importance of us being good stewards of God's creation, looking after the God-given resources that we have and doing that well. And the third common theme is to do with fairly fair shares of the food which is there and the justice for the poor. One of the books I read uh, in my teenage years was called uh, Enough is Enough by Bishop John V. Taylor, the importance of living simply that others may simply live. So there are some important common themes, and not surprisingly, because our food and our shelter are absolutely fundamental to our lives. We've heard quite a lot, uh, well, a huge amount in our news, and we've also been praying for some of the massive concerns that are around in our world today. And in many ways, we're living at a very fearful and anxious time. There is great concern over the environment and climate change and the very obvious impact that is having directly on our world and very sharp examples of that. Uh, there are real concerns for peace, real concerns about the cost of living. So how does our Christian faith speak to that anxious and fearful world in which we find ourselves? One of the phrases which has meant a lot to me over the years, and it's become very sharp uh, in the years when I've been in ordained ministry, is a little phrase that occurs in a thing called the Declaration of Ascent, which those being uh, ordained or coming to a new ministry have to make. It's their assent to the Christian faith as it's been received and understood in the Church of England. And in that declaration of assent, in the preface, which the bishop normally reads to the person who's about to make it, there's a little phrase which speaks of the importance of proclaiming the gospel afresh in each generation. And I've always rather liked that phrase because... It captures something of the givenness of the gospel. We can't just go making up the Christian faith in our own image. We have our scriptures, we have our creeds and traditions. Our Christian faith has a shape to it, a God-given shape. But we do need to relate it absolutely to the changing context in which we find ourselves. And the world changes, as we know, very rapidly. So at the moment, we are very much, if you like, a COVID generation, 
Just think of the huge impact and changes that have taken place because of the pandemic. We're a climate change generation, real concerns about that. There's talk about climate anxiety in a younger generation as they, they grow up with it. We're very much in a conflict generation, serious conflict in Europe uh, for the first time since the Second World War. And we are, in many ways, in a consumption generation, the amount of stuff that we use and consume, and it's very unfairly treated, uh, very unfairly distributed. So how do we connect all of that, the generation in which we find ourselves, to the good news of God's salvation in Christ? Well, I'm going to do two things to try to answer that question. Uh, the first, I know you're going through a series in Exodus. So I want to make a few links from the book of Exodus uh, to some of those questions about how we are to proclaim the gospel, the good news of God's salvation in our generation. The book of Exodus is written and is very important in the formation of the people of Israel and the story of God's salvation coming to them in their time in a very different generation and a very different context. And there are some very important primary themes in the book of Exodus, which not only spoke to that particular time of the formation of the people of Israel, but also continue to speak down the ages to different contexts now. The first theme is the journey from slavery to freedom, a very powerful motif. Slavery in Egypt, literal slavery, to the freedom in the promised land. And that journey from slavery to freedom is one which resonates in different places down the world. The second primary theme, which you are probably reflecting on as you go through the book of Exodus, is about the primacy of God and God's saving action. And it's very important in the book of Exodus. It's all about what God is doing in that context. It is God who calls Moses. It is God's saving action as the people of Israel leave, leave, their, leave their slavery. It is God who gives the law at Mount Sinai. So that primacy of God's action is hugely important in the book of Exodus and a good reminder to us. In our world today, as we know, many, many people, certainly in our part of the world, are very disconnected from Christian faith and from religious belief. And there are many surveys which indicate that. We are living in what's sometimes been called a disenchanted world. We've lost that sense of God's action and God's activity in our world. And I think if we're not careful, some of that can creep into our own thinking, even if we are uh, good Christian people. And I think there's a, a church equivalent of losing that sense of the primacy of God. And it's when we overemphasize our own activity and our own plans and all of what we're doing. Now, all of those things, don't get me wrong, all of those things are extremely important. It's very important that we have things like mission action plans. But we need to remember always when we're doing them that it's not primarily about our activity hitting our targets. It's about what God is doing in our midst uh, through all those things. So that thing of the primacy of God's action is very important in the book of Exodus. 
And then two more themes from the book of Exodus, which are very important. Uh, The first uh, is the idea of covenant and our relationship with God. And that's fundamental to the book of Exodus. And it reminds us that it really does matter that we live in a right relationship with God and that we live in the light of God's love each day of our lives. That emphasis on covenant is fundamental in Exodus. But so too is the emphasis on the way we actually live our lives. And we have the giving of the law summed up in the Ten Commandments. So living in the light of God's love also means living lives which follow God's way of love and justice in our world. We're to live not only in a good relationship with God, but also with each other and with the world in which we are set. So all of those four themes in the book of Exodus, I think, can help us in the way in which we think. But I want to turn now to the reading we heard from Colossians, uh, which I particularly asked for today. And the reason I've chosen these verses from Colossians is that they give a very big picture of God's salvation in all creation. The language is quite majestic and soaring. And so it does speak to us about being rescued from the powers of darkness in verse 13. It speaks about the hope laid up for you in heaven in verse 5. It talks about us being filled with the knowledge of God's will in verse 9. It talks about the importance of bearing fruit and living lives worthy of the Lord and of the importance of forgiveness of our sins of times we go wrong in verse 14. But then it moves in verses 15 to 20 to give a cosmic perspective of God's salvation. It's not just about us as individuals and what we're doing. It's not even just about us as a church community or us as the human race. These verses from the end of the reading we heard today speak about all things being reconciled in Christ. So it really is a cosmic vision of God's salvation of all things being reconciled in Christ, a majestic view. And it is, I believe, very important if we are really to connect with the world in which we find ourselves with the good news of God's love, that we have that majestic cosmic view of salvation. In my teenage years, I started going to church, as you've heard, uh, after the age of 11. And so at a very formative stage was learning about the Christian faith and growing in that faith as I went through my time both at Christchurch and also here at Emmanuel. And I did learn a few useful things at Christchurch as well uh, as, as here. I was also, as I was going through school, more and more specialising in science and physics and maths and the incredible way science explores the world in which we live. So a very obvious question was, how do those two different ways of thinking relate to one another? And I came to the view at the time, and in many ways I still hold to this, is that when you look out the mystery of the universe, the extraordinary universe that we live in, and the mystery of life, you either 
you have to be what I would call a thoroughgoing materialist. In other words, all there is is stuff, matter, atoms, molecules, electrons, quarks. And we happen to be rather complicated arrangements of all that lot, who happen to have become self-conscious. And the only real meaning that we can give to our lives is that which we as human beings create for ourselves. In other words, we are literally whistling in the dark. And there are many of our contemporaries who hold essentially a view exactly like that. You will hear it articulated and expressed by many thoughtful people. But if you don't think that's quite right, you have to be, and this is the conclusion I came to in my teenage years, some kind of theist. In other words, there's a deeper reality. We use the word God to point to that profound reality. There is a, a deeper thing going on. It's not just all about the material world and how that has evolved and developed. And of course, our Christian understanding of the creation of all reality says there is a God whose nature is love, who is the source of all things and at the heart of this extraordinary universe in which we live. It is that love of God, that eternal relationship of love between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which is the most profound reality of all. And that love of God has been made known to us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the saving power of that love, of sacrificial love, how that really changes us and literally saves us. In the pandemic, we were rightly inspired by examples of people giving of themselves to help others. And that inspiration we feel when we see examples of self-giving love is no accident of evolution. It reflects the very being of God, the power of that love of God to shape and literally save our world. We are called to repent and believe, to move from a self-centered way of living to a God-centered and an other people way of living. So it's that way of God's love that brings real hope that can lead us from slavery uh, to freedom in our world. That way of love which can help us to live in a right relationship with God, with others, with the planet. And the important thing, and I'll, I'll, begin, I'll finish with this, is that it's important that we have that holistic sense of God's love for all God's creation. I've done a lot of work uh, in connection with the environment and climate change and served for a number of years on the Church of England's National Environment Working Group, as well as leading some of the stuff in our own diocese. And one of the talks that I gave during that period, and still do a bit, uh, it took various forms, but the title of it I gave, uh, perhaps rather uh, provocatively, was Your Gospel is Too Small. Your Gospel is Too Small. And I was echoing deliberately the title of a well-known book by the Bible translator J.B. Phillips, which is called Your God is Too Small, in which he spoke in the 1950s of, and 60s of his growing understanding of God as he went into the scriptures more and more deeply in his work of translation. He found his understanding of God was just growing and growing and growing. Well, as well as finding that truth of God 
in the scriptures, we can also find the wonder of God and the beauty of God in all creation. And it's important to have that sense, as these verses from particularly the end of the reading we've had, about all things being reconciled in, in Christ, in our vision of salvation. And so if we are to proclaim the gospel afresh in our generation and in our time, we know we live in an age where many people are disconnected from Christian faith. We live in a profoundly secular age in many ways, and there's been a lot written about that. We live in a very anxious and fearful world as well. But we also live in a world that is yearning for that depth of hope and salvation. If you think back in the pandemic, there was one time when the Build Back Better agenda, the importance of economic justice, racial justice, and environmental justice was very much being talked about. People knew as we had gone through this enormous shakeup in our world, we can do better than what's going on now. And perhaps there's been a bit of that also through the events of the Queen's funeral, a latent spirituality which is there. Now, I believe profoundly that the, what might be called the full gospel genuinely connects with all of that yearning that's going on in our world. And one way of expressing that is to say that our churches need to exhibit what are called all five of the Anglican marks of mission. So it does matter that people come to faith, an individual faith, our own spirituality, our own relationship with God really does matter. And it matters too that our faith is deepened and grows and we can give good account of it in a world where many people are skeptical, that we grow in faith. All of those things are of profound importance to us as individuals. But also in the five Anglican marks of mission, those are the first two of them, it's about the importance of living out that faith in our world, the importance of loving service to those in need, the importance of fighting for justice in a very unfair world, and the importance of the care of God's good creation in a world where there are many dysfunctions in that creation care. And churches, I believe, which live and speak all of that big vision of the gospel and God's salvation really will be able to connect with the communities in which they're set. Loads and loads and loads of that already goes on. It goes on here in this church, and we can see it in some of the things we've been talking about and expressing today. We do that already, but we need to have that strong sense of all things being reconciled in Christ in the way in which we live. So in my journey of life and vocation, uh, it's been a privilege to be alongside, in my role as Bishop of Kingston, many, many churches which are doing all of that and are just striving to do it better as we go on by God's grace. And all of us, of course, need to continue in that faith and hope and love, in the power of God's salvation in Christ, in that vision of all things being reconciled in Christ. Emmanuel, as you've heard, has been very important in my own formation many years ago. So as Felicity and I uh, journey on to the next stage of our life and vocation, uh, I wish this church, and thanks to Bart for all he does and many others to lead this church uh, in God's mission in our world, 
every blessing on you. And I hope and pray that we will all be given that strength and power by God's Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel afresh in our generation. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.